0: Open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. Chapter 9 is where we find ourselves tonight. We've been in this um, most exciting, uh, really the most exciting story in the Bible. There's many wonderful stories, but this one is so uh, uh, exciting. And all that goes on before, during, and after the flood, Noah, Adam's family, then Seth's family, then Noah's family, and now. Uh, they've, they've kind of landed, the ark's landed, chapter 9. It's kind of a new beginning. That's why I've entitled the message tonight, A New Beginning, Genesis chapter 9. We're going to look at the first seven verses. There's a lot in these, this chapter. And before we get to the rainbow and, in verse 8, I wanted to cover these really important uh, chapters or the verses about the new beginning. And God gives some law and God gives some blessings here in the first seven verses that we really need to look at. And so with your Bibles open, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for its truth. We as your children, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you and what you would teach us from your word. I pray that you would just fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit as I share your word. And fill us, Lord, tonight with the truth of your word. We are told uh, lies about evolution. We're We're told lies about origins. And yet you've given us the record, Lord, of the origins of our universe, our world, and how it was radically changed from the the antediluvial time to the present world that we live in. And I pray, God, that you would, again, encourage us, show us, and, and Lord, that we would marvel at your plan, marvel at your love, marvel at your grace tonight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Noah. Noah. His three sons, his wife and their their wives, eight people have been spared from the judgment of God. God judged the world and he found it wanting. There wasn't anyone on the planet that had nothing but evil in their hearts and God wiped out the whole all of humanity, all of the animals, everything's died. In this in this flood this, Global flood, not just a not a not a specific local flood. You'll hear that about some some people believe it was a local flood. You know, God floated the, the boat above all that, that uh, Noah could see, and it wasn't really global. But we see a, evidence of a global flood in the uh, geological record. Uh, scientifically, you look around the planet, and you'll see the evidence of a global flood. Uh, Noah was in the ark for a year. He and his, or one year, he and his family. And there was 40 days and 40 nights of rain. There was this cataclysmic breakup and turbulence that the, from the earth came water. From the center of the earth, this water came up. And the continents were broken down. Boy, look at that. I'm getting a phone call on my watch. That's weird. I thought I'd turn that off. I'm learning. And so really interesting, though, the, tra- the fact that, that in uh, this account, we hear about God's provision. We hear about God's judgment. We hear about man's evil ways. And after this rain, raining for 40 days, 40 nights, 150 days, the boat settles, and it was a whole year before the ark comes to a, a complete rest. The birds go out. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And, the, and Noah knows that it's safe, but he doesn't leave until God gives him notice. And God tells him that he wants him to come out of the ark. Now, I wanted to make a big deal last week about the fossil record and and by the way this this uh, fossil record here that I was breaking all that last week it was actually a gift to me. I didn't know that, but now I know it so I can do whatever I want. And you can touch it too and so I'm going to leave it here so you can come look at this. It's just filled with shells and snails and and uh, fossils of uh, um, uh, the, the remnants of a, like a clam shell here. Very fascinating. Some of you already touched it, so you guys can come up and touch that in the service. It's really cool, and don't worry about it. It flakes a little bit, but it's, it's, it's cool. But this is evidence. This was found in Wyoming, but this is evidence that there are, there are billions of dead things buried in, in stratification layers all over the earth from the lowest place on the planet to the highest mountains. That's the illustration I gave you last week in the Himalayas. So this stuff wasn't distributed by, by the ice age and, and glaciers. There have been ice ages and, and there have been times of glacial activity, but it was the flood that distributed all this stuff around the planet. Um, the, the, uh, scientists like Bill Nye and, and evolutionists have a totally different explanation, but we have the word of God, and I I take that as truth, and I teach that as truth, and I believe that, that we're living on a planet that was very radically altered from the antediluvian period, which was really basically one continent that was broken apart during the flood, while Noah was in that that rectangular rescue box floating on the waves for all those days, 150 or so days, God was breaking up the continents, separating them. And, and when that boat came to rest and Noah and his family came out of the ark, the planet was radically altered. They walked into a different world. They come out of the boat and they see not just hills, but they see Peaks and rocky, craggy mountains and deep crevasses and valleys. They're, they're in the mountains of what? Where are they? Mountains of Ararat. Not on the Mount Ararat, but in the mountains of Ararat, which go from, I explained this last week, they go from Russia all the way down into Turkey, that whole mountain range in there are the mountains of Ararat, very tall mountains. Everest is in there. There's some big, tall mountains and peaks in there. And so the boat comes to rest somewhere in those mountains. They come out of the the, uh, ark, and they see this radically altered planet. I can't imagine what they're thinking, and even what they're smelling. You know, when things are waterlogged, they stink. But even more so, there's been a, a radical death on the planet. Every animal and every human has died. Maybe there's bloated bodies. I I don't know exactly what they saw, but I can't imagine it smelling that good. All of it was a result of God's judgment. When they get out of the ark, they see death. They're faced with death again, and they realize, Noah realizes that it was because of man's sin. It was God's judgment, and they were spared in God's rescue box, this, this ark. No relatives, no neighbors survived. No one. There's only eight people left, and it would have been very strange, and they are confronted with, that, with death everywhere. So Noah's first act, after leaving the ark, we left off there last week in chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Noah, um, uh, let's see, oh, that's not chapter 8, it's at the end of chapter 8, he gets off the ark, and when he gets off the ark, he, he sees all of these things, and, and he begins to do something important there, and that is to uh, make sacrifice. The first thing he does is make sacrifice, and he does that because I believe he's faced with death, and he knows that he needs to, to make a sacrifice and honor the Lord, and the Bible says that he uses all the clean animals. He didn't just do one little sacrifice, but he took all these clean animals and he did a burnt offering Uh, before the Lord. That was God's um, or or Noah's plan on appeasing God for the sin of man and even his family's sins because, because face it, let's face it, Noah is a sinner, right? He was a righteous man but he's still human and in him we will see, I mean we are descendants of Noah and as I look around the world I see a lot of sinners and I even sense that in my own heart. And so Noah wasn't perfect. He was righteous, but he still had sin, and we're going to see how that affects him uh, and his, his, his life and his family uh, as well. So we come to the end of chapter 8, verse 22, and we see that life continues. This last verse is really interesting. Look at it with me. It says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not. Cease. Now, let me just say a couple of comments that I didn't say last time before we get to chapter 9, verse 1. And that's this, that God says, as, as everything is new now and being reestablished, God says, okay, here you are, and everything is going to be consistent, seasonal patterns. There's going to be a consistent, predictable time now in, on, on the planet Earth. Remember, there used to be a mist that covered it. It was totally different. Uh, Day and night would have been different, although there was day and night. It would have been a little different because you didn't really see the sun. Now the sun's brightly shining. Now there's clouds that bring rain. It hadn't rained before. This is all new. So everything's different, and God says there's going to be a consistent cycle now of these seasons and that uh, God's judgment would not come until everything ended while the earth remains, verse 22. There's going to be this cycle. So, so in this verse is revealed that there's going to be another judgment. It won't be like this one. We'll see the rainbow next week. It won't be flood. It will be by fire. And in the meantime, between this flood, the global flood, and the eventual destruction of the planet that's revealed uh, in, in various Old Testament and mainly in Revelation, we see the destruction of the earth by fire. Uh, there's going to be this time period where everything will just will have four seasons, continual annual cycles happening over and over. Again, this is a promise right here, verse 22, that 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 God is assuring us that things are going to be normal and they're just going to be natural, and there's going to be these four seasons. Now, there weren't four seasons before. But there's gonna be this cycle of seasons. Interestingly, unlike the History Channel and many evolutionists, we're not gonna get destroyed by a meteor. You don't have to worry about that. There's not gonna be some asteroid coming to to blow up the planet. There's so many interesting things about our planet, our moon that keeps everything from coming into our solar system, protecting us. And we're the only planet like that in the solar system. Scientists know this. We have an unbelievable planet that we live on, and it's protection, and it's, it has the perfect temperature for life. There's so many things. It's got water. You don't find that anywhere else. They're looking, they're looking for water, aren't they? But it's this planet that God has made and keeps, and now he says it's, there's going to be seasons. There's going to be these, these times and seasons. It's not temperature. You don't have to worry about climate. It's not global warming that's going to destroy the planet. You don't have to worry about that. Again, God is assuring us that things are just going to be natural here. We're going to have these different temperature cycles with the different seasons. Cold in winter, hot in summer, and then there's harvest time. Yay, you know, this new... That's what God is saying. How long? How long is this cycle going to go on? Look at verse 22. While the earth remains. So while we're on this planet, we don't have to worry about all those other things that you see on the History Channel or that you read by in some you know, on your Facebook post, watch out, the end end of the world's coming. As Christians, we have God's word. You can rely on this. God's going to protect you between these two judgments. You're you're good. It's going to be hot, though, in the summer, like it was last week, and it's going to get cold and freeze in some places, but it's just this cycle. So we come to chapter 9, and chapter 9 really opens with this new beginning. There's a life restart coming with a new world, and so God's going to give some instruction here. Notice in verse 1, we'll just read these seven verses. So God blessed Noah and his sons. That's the key here. He's blessing. He's going to bless them now. Notice. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We've already heard that, haven't we? And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Think about that. Meat. God is providing food through what? Every living thing. Make note of that. If you're a vegan this evening, you know, don't be shocked. This is just the truth of God's word. And I have given you all things, even salad. <laughs> Verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life and its blood. You can't eat meat that's alive. Surely for your life, blood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man, and as for you, Be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. So we begin this chapter, very interestingly, with God blessing Noah and his family. God is blessing them, and I'm going to point out these blessings. There are three main blessings here that are pointed out. Verse 1 of chapter 9, so God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, okay, guys, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, This is right after God has honored God with the the burnt offerings. And those burnt offerings were a soothing aroma to God. God, he loved it. He he accepted that offering that Noah had offered at the end of chapter 8. And now God is blessing Noah and his three sons. Number one, he blesses him in marriage and family life. This is God's plan all through the Bible. Again, you guys are getting this wonderful education about God's view on on marriage and family and procreation and what God, what what he wants. From the beginning, one woman, one man for a lifetime, not redefined by America or any government. This is God's law, this is God's way. We submit to it. We can always twist and pervert, we always do as, as humans. But this is God's blessing to man, and it's marriage and family life. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, God has already ordained marriage. He ordered marriage back in Genesis one28 I'll just show you the verse again. It says, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That was back in chapter one. This has always been God's plan, family life, a man and a woman, and children. That's God's call there. He, he wants us to be blessed by that. Marriage, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren have always been God's blessing to man. Think about that. Think about for a moment, not about your older kids. If you have older kids, don't think that, that way. But think about when your child was first born. You remember the joy, ladies? Do you remember that little baby we had, today we had Audrey at our house. Before I left for work, she comes over and spends the day with, with grandma and grandpa. And she has her little hair sticking straight up. And she, I hear her toddling. I'm downstairs, and I hear these little feet, and I go upstairs, and there she is. And I, I whistle, and she looks at me and smiles. And we have this conversation. She sounds like pebbles. da I love that. Children bring joy. They are a blessing. Now, when our kids get older, they become adults and, and vice and all the things that we taught them. And we see it in them and we don't like it, do we? But, but that's God's intention for our kids and our grandkids and family life is to be a blessing. Blessing. It's to be a blessing. If I feel sad for those of you that grew up in, in a place where you weren't loved by your parent. I know that happens. I feel sad for people that haven't had a loving parent. My parents were not Christians, but they loved me. There's no doubt in my mind they loved me, and I love them dearly. And then later on in their life, after I came to Christ, years after I came to Christ, they accepted Christ, so I know I'm gonna see them in heaven. My, well, my dad, my mom's still alive, and she's now a wonderful Christian. She would never pick up her Bible. I never saw her read, and when I told her I was a Christian, I was, oh, that's nice. And then finally, just a, about 10 years ago, she came to know the Lord. Her life changed. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Family life, though, is, is created by God. He's ordained it, he's ordered it, and it's a beautiful, wonderful blessing to man. If you're young and unmarried, I'll bet you, for those that are unmarried this morning, don't raise your evening. Don't raise your hand, but I bet you you're looking forward to it, right? Whether you're a a man or a woman, and it's like, oh, I can't wait to get married. It's going to be the greatest, you know. Esther and I were engaged at 19. We got married when we were 20 years old, and I remember at 19, I just couldn't wait to get married. It's going to be the greatest, you know. I'm out from underneath my parents. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. It's going to be awesome. And it was, and it is. Marriage life is a blessing. It's, it's an awesome thing. But, but when we're young, you know, we just can't wait, most of us. And, and after you get married, you desire to have children. And, and we see that all the time. People love children. They love the joy that comes. There's a deep-seated joy in the human heart when you see a little baby. Even if you're a gnarly old scratch old man that, you know, you, you could, the, the, the gnarliest guy can see a baby and they can be enamored, they can be taken by a child. It's, a, it's really a beautiful thing. I've seen it, I've seen it happen. But, but marriage number one and children, this joy that we get is unmatched in human relationships. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when you really think about it, it's a beautiful thing. You can have a love affair with your car, your 59 Chevy or whatever it is, men, but it ain't nothing like a real relationship in a marriage or with children or family. It's a, a beautiful thing. So marital love between a man and a woman, love between a parent and child is greater and more joyful and godly. And, and the problem is that, again, as I've said, children grow up into adults and then now they have adult problems and, and uh, they're not the innocent, drooling, diaper-wearing toddler you know, that we used to love. We still love them as parents. But sometimes we struggle in that, that relationship. But family still is most important. If There's a, a tie there, a wonderful thing. The second blessing that we see in verse 2 is man's dominion over the animal kingdom. First, marriage and family life, the blessing, be fruitful, multiply. Secondly, man's dominion over the animal kingdom. Look at verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. Now think about this. It was just a year ago that all the animals came to who? Who did they come to? Noah. And they went to the ark. God, God did this work where he brought the animals. There's Noah and his family. Their smells are on all the wood. They constructed this ark. And, and animals, they don't like human smell. If, you, if you've ever been out walking or if you're a hunter, you understand that. You've got to disguise your smell if you're going to sneak up on an animal. Not so in a zoo. You know, zoos are stinky places. But when you're out in the forest... When you're in the forest, you know, you don't want to leave your scent because animals, they don't want you. They don't want to be around you. But in this case, God, for some reason, had, had did, he did something, and all these animals came, and they got on the ark. And now, this is what's different. There's going to be fear. God put fear into animals. They have, would have a dread of you, shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air. We have a bird feeder, and, and I, I love birds. I sit And study on Fridays, Thursdays and Fridays, I sit at home. Tomorrow morning, I'll be home looking out my window. Trees all around my back deck. And we have some bird feeders. And the birds come in, and and there's woodpeckers, and there's finches, and there's just beautiful birds. We have hummingbirds. And and these birds come in, these little uh, kingfishers in the mountains. You've heard them. Quack, quack, quack. They're really loud and noisy. And they, they run around. They bounce on the roof. You can hear them. You know, You can hear them two floors below. They're bouncing on the roof. They bounce all over. But when they see you, if you step up in front of them, they fly, right? Animals have been given by God this its fight or flight. Most animals leave. They run. They don't want anything to do with humans. It's because God put a fear in them here in verse 2 of chapter 9 of Genesis. And it says that all of them, even the birds, everything that moves on the earth, and all the fish in the sea— they're going to be afraid of you, but I've given you dominion over them. This is, again, God doing. He did it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He's doing it again with this new beginning, restart of the earth. God gives man dominance or rule over the animal kingdom. And uh, I have this verse here, Genesis 126. Let me just show it to you real quick. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the cattle over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God's doing this again here in Genesis chapter nine. God created all of these animals and he put man over them, dominion. So God reestablishes this dominance over the animal kingdom. And the reason that's a blessing, that's this is the, Question in my mind, why is that a blessing? Well, there are animals that are larger and much more powerful than men, right? Lions and and Thank you. They're, 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 there's these big <laughs> animals. They're all over the place, and, and they, they are a threat. I mean, every year you read about some tourist you know, from Japan with a camera around their neck, getting out of the car, walking up to a bear or a moose to take a picture, and then they get trampled. Some of them even die because, uh, especially moose. Moose, they're killers, they're they big. Their legs are taller than my head here. They're huge, their legs, their bellies are about this high. Massive legs, and they'll just, they stomp cars and they kill people, and you don't, elk and moose, and you know, in North America. And then in Africa, you've got, you know, tigers and lions, and you have, you know, these massive animals. And so, so God has given us this dominance over, but there's still these animals that are more uh, powerful than man. And we've heard the stories the the three-year-old who fell into the gorilla zoo in Cincinnati, remember that a couple of months ago? And then what did they do to the gorilla? They shot it because it was a threat to the child. And all the animal rights, oh, you hurt that poor little gorilla. There's a baby in there. What's wrong with you? What are you thinking about? Gorilla, there's an animal, there's a baby in there. It just blew, blows my mind the way, the way people think. In 2008, Esther and I and Barry and Carol, we went to Africa on a safari. And we were in Africa, and we saw these animals. We went to this... Uh, I think it was the Marleke, was it the Marleke game refuge? Do you remember? It wasn't, there's several there in in Africa, but we took one day, they drove us into this game refuge. And really what it is, is it's like this big national park, not just like Paris Hill Park. It's like Yosemite Park, a big major park where the animals just live. There's no cages, there's no walls, they just live there. So you drive in there in your car and you see herds of zebra, you see herds of impala just running in front of you, running, jumping. You drive down the road and you see all these animals. There's animals everywhere. It's, it's a pretty uh, wonderful thing. Buffalo, impala, kudu, all these different animals. But when they see you, an animal will fly. It'll, it'll run away from you. They, they, they fear you. It says right here, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. So God has put this fear in animals when it comes to man. But God, again, right here in this verse, has given man dominion over the animal kingdom. It says at the end of verse 2, they are given into your hand. And that means all of the animals, listen, are given by God to man to use. That's what that means. To use to enjoy, to use for pulling carts and doing things, domestic animals, to use for food. We have dominion, man has dominion over the animals, that's what that verse means. God made animals to serve people. God didn't make people to serve animals, although some people act that way. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that, that man are to abuse animals, and there are some cases where man abuses animals, and that's wrong, and that's not what I'm saying. In fact, the scripture says, let me show you this verse. It's an obscure verse in Proverbs, but notice this. Proverbs 12, 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. In other words, there are people that mistreat animals. And, and that's wrong. And we need to treat animals with respect. That's what a Christian does. We enjoy animal life. We enjoy all of God's creation. There was a t-shirt that I, I used to have It. On the front it said, (laughs) on the front it said, I enjoy all of God's creatures. And on the back it said, on my plate next to my gravy and potatoes. (laughs) Here's what's wrong today, and I, I just want to take a moment to talk about this. The animal rights movement, they put saving animals above humans. They put animals in the same equivalency as humans, they put us on the same that's not the way God's made it. Man above animals. That doesn't mean we abuse animals, but man is over animals and we're to use we can use animals. God allows us as people to use animals. Uh, it's it's so twisted when you hear an uh, an animal rights activist talk about saving whales, but they're the first ones that wanna kill a baby. They wanna promote abortion. It just, it's upside down, it's, it's horrible. These people are mainly, ev- they're, they're evolutionists primarily, they're, they're atheists primarily, and they're tree huggers. We, that's, that's how we classify them. And they believe humans are just one species that evolved by chance, randomly, from a one-celled creature. They just kind of form, we're all the same. Animals and people are all the same. That's what they say. That is not what the scripture says. And I believe this is a blessing for you and I to understand this. It puts our uh, view of the world in perspective so that when we read a report, we don't have to freak out about, I know why they act the way they do. Because they're anti-God, they're evolutionists, they don't believe in God. That's why they act that way. So pray for them. Don't get mad at them. That, they, they're, they're, they act that way because that's their worldview. That's what they believe. But we have God's word, and so our worldview is formed by the scriptures. Animals are under, they're under, they're, they're beautiful, the variety is awesome, the animals are great, they're, they're wonderful, but they aren't people too. Animals are people too, people, you know, we say that. But they aren't people, they're animals, and man is above the animals. You've heard of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They, they believe that killing an animal for food is the, is, is the moral equivalency to murder. They, believe, they put men and animals on the same scale, and they see the killing of animals for food as murder, the eating of of meat as cannibalism. You can look at their website and see all this. That keeping pets, including guide dogs for the blind, is like animal slavery. They're against all those things. They're radicals. These people are just, they're radicals. They do not have the same worldview that you have. In fact, PETA's founder, her name is Ingrid Newkirk, and here's a quote from her there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. A rat is a pig is a dog is a boy. That's their view. They put animals above or equal to man. It's, it's bizarre. She also told a Washington Post reporter that the atrocities of Nazi Germany pale by comparison to the killing of animals for food. In other words, she says, the things that, that, that we eat, for, kill for food, chickens and cows and the different things, she equates that to the same kind of murderous atrocities of, of Hitler. She says six million Jews died in concentration camps, but, she says, six million broiler chickens will die this year in slaughterhouses. Oh my God. This is how radical these people really are. They fight for abortion. They stand for Planned Parenthood. They have lunch and they laugh about selling baby body parts for profit. They're evolutionists. They don't know God. They're they're outrageously anti-God. But the animal kingdom, the sanctity of life is something God is all about. And the animal kingdom, God is all about that. And he's put them under the dominance of man. They're a blessing to us. Which leads me now to the third blessing here. Notice all animals are food. And this this might be hard to swallow, pardon the pun. But notice verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Read that with me. Look at it. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's what the scripture says. And then I have given you all things, even salad. You see that there? Now... This means. This is what it means. Things that crawl, bugs, grubs. You've seen African people eat grubs. Aaron, our missionary, has eaten those. He said he actually said, "Don't knock it till you try it, Uncle Lee." It's like, whoa, gee. They put it. It's like a marshmallow. They put it and they roast it over fire, and then he said it's just kind of gritty. That's what he told me. It's a little gritty, but. The Bible says that everything that crawls slithers, flies, it's all food. And the reason this is interesting is because there are some Christians that believe that dietary laws are very important and and if to be a Christian you have to abide by a strict dietary law. Interesting, I wonder if they've ever read Genesis chapter nine, I wonder. I wonder if they've ever read it and looked at what God says here. Because, again, it was the Jews who were given dietary laws. We see it in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They were given laws. And the reason the Jews were given those laws was to separate them from every other people on the planet. They ate different food. They dressed in different clothes. And God says, don't eat these things, only eat these things. And that separated them from the rest of the culture, from the rest of the world. And God wanted a separation in his people. There's a separation now and it's the church and the world. And God wants his church to be holy, but there's no dietary laws or clothing laws like the Jews had. Those were all abolished. You remember Peter and the sheet and the food, eat, kill and eat it all, that was all abolished. Now we're all one in Christ, but the church is different, called out from the world, the ecclesia, we're different than the world around us. But the Jews had dietary laws, but here it's very interesting. There aren't any dietary laws at this point in time. Um, under Mosaic law, there were strict dieteric laws. But here, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. So think about it. They get off the ark. Vegetation is wiped out. Tree trunks, no leaves. Everything's been cataclysmically turned upside down. Rocks and, and debris and dead bodies and corpses. And there's, there's nothing in the ground to pick. There's no carrots or radishes to pick. So God provides for his people with the food. But they have to go get it because he's put in the animals' fear. They're gone. The animals get out of the ark, and they look at Noah, and, ah, and they run. And off they go to, to repopulate the planet. I mean, it's really interesting when you think about it. But all these animals were for food. That's what the scripture says. I like that that show that just ended, it was a series called Alone, and those people were on, up on some island for days and days, and they had to come up with their own shelter and eat their own food. They were eating kelp and lipids and whatever they could catch in the ocean. You know, you think about somebody in the desert, you know, uh, they're, they're crawling for days in their parched mouth and they just, they'll eat anything. They'll eat a spider. They'll eat whatever they can find to eat. I mean, whatever they can find. Uh, that comes along. When you're hungry, you'll eat whatever you can catch. Paul said this. He said this in First Timothy. Look at this verse. First Timothy 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. He's talking about what? What is he talking about? Eating. So every living thing. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, he says this. Listen, Christians, we, we had Jews that had laws, Gentiles that didn't. The Gentiles ate pork, the Jews would never eat it. The Jews and Gentiles come together for a feast, they break bread, somebody brings pork, and the Jews are going like, whoa, I'm not eating that. And, and then the Jews bring some specialty and the Gentiles look at it, I'm not eating that. And Paul says in Romans 14, listen, different people eat different things. This is what he says, notice this verse. For one believes he can eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Interesting. (laughs) Let not him who eats despises him who does not. So we can't say, if you're a vegetarian, I can't say that you're lame. And because I eat meat and have a double-double every once in a while, animal-style chopped chilies, you can't say that I'm lame. That we together can just eat whatever we want and we just accept and love one another. That's what Paul is saying there in that verse. He said, let him who eats Uh, uh, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats. God's received them both. So you can kind of make your own little dietary law for your own little family and be a vegetarian if you want or eat lots of meat if you want. It doesn't matter. Paul, Paul says it's not what you eat that makes you spiritual. It's not food that makes one spiritual. But be thoughtful for one another when you get together and break bread. So Paul is telling us that there are no dietary restrictions in the New Testament with God in the Bible. And here in Genesis chapter nine, God is blessing Noah. He's blessing him, and he says, "Listen, I provided you everything you can eat, anything that came out of the ark, anything. It's all food. every moving. Look at verse three, every moving thing that lives. That's the condition that lives, shall be food for you. In other words, you don't pick something, roadkill, up and eat it. No, you, you don't do that. It's got to be living uh, before you eat it. One commentator said this, and, and poking fun or making fun. Listen, this is, I love this. He says, so go ahead and dress up with your silk shirt made by worms. Put on your wool coat from a sheep that's been you know turned into clothing. Put on your leather shoes from cowhide. Ladies, grab your alligator handbag or put on your, your alligator boots and let's all go to Lucille's for some barbecue chicken and pork and, and just enjoy it all. That's really, you know, because it's all a blessing from God. That's really what this is saying, that all of these things we can use for food or for man's use, not abuse it. There's a difference and, and I, I don't want to... I don't think I'm overstating that. I don't believe that you think I abuse anything, and I hope you don't either. We should be careful, and I showed you that verse in Proverbs. We need to, a righteous man is careful with his animals. So at the end of verse 3, this is interesting. I've already mentioned a couple times. If you don't want to eat meat, you can have salad. See, it says there, it says, all things, and then even as the green herbs. So there was a time for veggie everything, and that was in the garden. Adam and Eve were vegetarians. They did not eat meat. Nothing died. But then we found with Cain and his murder, and his, specifically his family, Lamech, and, and the, the bad side, they, they, were, they began to raise livestock. And we're sure that we were not, well, I guess I can't say sure. But I believe that they were eating um, animals. They were eating flesh at that time. And then in Noah's time, God changed everything He says, I want you to eat meat. I go, you go ahead and you can eat meat here. It's a renewable food source meat, and that's what God tells Noah. So you can live the Noahic covenant and eat meat and know that God blesses. There's just one stipulation. Here it is in verse 4 do not eat live animals or blood that was this is the stipulation look at verse 4 but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood you aren't to, excuse me to eat a live animal you're not to eat live animals you're not to drink blood that's god's provision to protect man this really is a blessing but he's he's trying to protect us from from blood-borne pathogens, viruses, all the bacteria, all those things that are transmitted in blood. We know much more medically than Noah ever did. So God says, I don't want you to eat those things. There's parasites in blood. There's there's all kinds of bacteria and microorganisms and viruses in blood. And you can transfer it very quickly into people and kill them rapidly through blood. And so that's why God says that. I always think of tapeworms. <laughs> Found in raw meat. That's why at Thanksgiving, ladies, now it's, it's, all, all, it's, it's Facebook or it's, it's uh, media on your computer. There used to be TV and news articles all about how to prepare turkey. You had to heat it to a certain temperature, right? Because if you don't cook it, or if you put stuffing in there and you don't get it to a certain temperature, what happens? Bacteria grows in the cavity and then you... Your whole family gets sick on Thanksgiving. So it's, it's, there's a big deal about that. Always at Thanksgiving, you know, to cook, your, your turkey has to be at least 160 degrees and all the stuff that they, they tell you. So what about sushi? I just had sushi the other day. You ever think about that? You guys like sushi or sashimi? Some of you do? I, I, I like sushi. Now, it's, that's raw, but here's the difference. When you eat sushi... Sushi has to be refrigerated before you eat it. You don't just get it out of the ocean, cut it, and chew on it. You put it in a refrigerated place. Why? Because it kills off the bacteria. It kills off that stuff. Or you cook it. Those are the two ways you can eat it. And so sushi, you're okay if you eat sushi. And you're going, praise God, because I love that stuff. I, I really like sushi, so not all the time. What about raw oysters? I thought about that. I have a video of my wife eating a raw oyster from a long time ago. <laughs> Woo. Or in Scotland, if you're in Scotland, they have blood pudding. I mean, what about that? They actually fry blood, cut it. They cut it up, at crunch, it's crunchy. <clears throat> Yuck. At least it's cooked, I guess that's the one thing. But you're not supposed to eat a live animal and you're not supposed to drink blood. That's what the scripture says. When Noah gets off of the ark, God has already provided for him to cook meat, right? Barbecue, through what? Offering, and what does he do? He burns, he's got fire, he knows all about fire. Noah didn't stumble on fire, God provided fire. They were doing offerings. So he already knows how to do this barbecue thing. So the scripture says, do not eat live or raw meat with the blood. And then verses five and six here. Uh, God gives us one last law. For the new beginning. This really is a blessing. It's it's provision, but it's the sanctity of human life. Verse 5. Look at it with me. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man. This is God's law to protect life. This is what God, God wants to protect human life here. And so he gives this law to Noah. Now remember, Noah's just getting off the ark. These are new laws for a new life and a new way, a new beginning. And he says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. God values man and God values human life because we're made in God's image. And this is why capital punishment, that's what we see here. This is why God initiates capital punishment right here in the Bible. Now you might be uncomfortable with this. I'm gonna teach what the scriptures teach. I mean, nobody loves capital punishment, but I believe it's righteous and I believe it's scriptural and the, the qualifications are right here for us. God's declaring that human life is valuable and the penalty for killing someone, for taking innocent life, which is the definition of murder, the, the penalty for murdering somebody is the forfeiture of one's own life. That, that's what the scripture tells us. There's an exchange. If you kill a man, then your life is going to be exchanged. It's going to be taken. That's what God's Law says, again, new law, Cain killed Abel, but God had not instituted capital punishment. That's why Cain was what? What happened to Cain? Banished. Banished. He wasn't killed by God. He was sent away. And he remember, he complained, oh, this is going to be terrible. Everyone will want to kill me because I killed somebody. He, he knew the threat around him. And God said, okay, well, I'll put a mark on you, and everybody will know it, and they'll keep away from you. Remember that? So here, capital punishment is instituted by God. It's ordained by God. The the penalty of murder, the forfeiture of one's own life in exchange. Now, again, the antediluvial people didn't have it, but now we have the the post-flood people. That's who we're talking about. And in the antediluvian family line, Cain, who was a murderer, is Lemech, and I mentioned him earlier, but let me show you real quick in Genesis 4. Look at this verse. Lemech, notice he was, a, he, he was probably the first wife-beater. Notice what he says. Lemech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives, listen to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me, so you better be a good wife, almost. I mean, he didn't say that in Scripture. But the, the, the threat is implied in the verse. He was a, a really bad dude. But not only uh, there, but in chapter 6 of Genesis, we learn how bad society is. Here's chapter 6, verse 11. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Violence. It was a very violent. Men were violent. We see violence today. And so God is going to intervene before violence, and he's going to say to Noah. Who is he talking to? Noah and his sons. And he says, Listen, if any of you try to pull a cane on his brother, you're going to die. This is my law. This is the way society is going to go. This is God setting up government really for the first time. So these people, they had to be careful. They had to listen to God. In chapter 9, God details the, the penalty for killing someone. And interesting. Here, He starts out with animals, first animals. If an animal kills someone, an, a, a human, if an animal kills someone, the animal is going to die. That's what verse 5 tells us. And it's repeated in Exodus when God gives the Ten Commandments. And he elaborates in Genesis 21. Here's a verse I want you to see Genesis 21, verse 29. Verse 29, here it comes. Verse 29. Not there? Well, I'll read it to you. If the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past. This is interesting. And it has been made known to his owner. He has not kept it confined so that it had killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. Very interesting. If you have an animal, like a bull, and it gores somebody, that animal was to be put to death. If you didn't put it to death, and everybody knows then you are responsible for the animal and society's coming after you and gonna kill your animal and you. That's what the law of God says. And it made me think about the running of the bulls in Spain and, you know, Pampolonia, they just did it. Those, well, those guys are nuts. And, and there were several that got gored this year, weren't there? Did you see that? A lot of you guys see that on YouTube. It's, it's everywhere. But they run in front of the bulls and then the, gore, the, the animal comes up, the bull comes up this, you know, 2,000-pound animal versus a 150-pound person. And they take one, one, one of their horns and put it under their body and go, and that guy flies across the room and hits a wall. Or, or they gore him, stick him, go, gory thing. But, but that's, I don't know why I thought about it. You guys thought that shopping on Black Friday was a bad thing, right, ladies? You, that, that's tough, but, but this kind of thing is much worse. But anyway, God's protecting human life here. God is making these laws. In verse 5, he talks about animals. If animals are killers, then they're to be put to death. But God doesn't stop with animals. And he says in verse 5, And from the hand of man, from, every, from the hand of every man's brother. So a man or his brother, he says, I will require the life of man. Again, you have to remember, God is speaking to Noah and his three sons. And murder... Murder is very serious. Killing someone is very serious in God's sight. You're going to forfeit your life. How about this verse? Do we have Exodus 21, 12? There we go. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. These are God's laws. Capital punishment comes from the Bible. And men who willfully take the life of another. Are going to be ta- their life's going to be taken by another man. That's what the scriptures say. Verse 6, if you read it with me, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. And I like the way it's said. It's, it's kind of said, stated, and then kind of reversed and said again. Verse 6 here, whoever sheds man's blood, comma, by man his blood shall be shed here. The, the first half of the sentence kind of is repeated in the second half. And it's, it just kind of gives strength to that statement that God's saying that, that human life is, is, is valuable and taking it is a very serious thing. And so the law of retaliation is what we're seeing here. In Exodus 21, an eye for an eye, I've got the verse here, I think, Exodus 21, thir- 23 if he harms uh, follows, then you shall give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words, the penalty should be equal to the crime. So somebody steals something, you know, kill them. You, you just take it back and make them pay a, you know, put them in the city square and swat them, or I don't know what they would do. They, but but the, the penalty was equal to the crime. But if you took someone's life, your life was forfeited. That's what the scriptures teach. In addition to murder and suicide and all these different things, suicide is actually prohibited by God's command. Again, here's the reason why. Because life belongs to who? Does it belong to me? It belongs to God. Suicide is a a horrible thing, and it affects families in a horrible way. I, I endured that years and years ago with a family member when I was a young teenager, and it was very hurtful, very painful for the family to go through but uh, suicide is prohibited by God. Why? At the end of verse six, for in the image of God, he made man. And we have to really understand all the truth about, about life. Life belongs to God. Even Job, look at this verse, Job 121, says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the Lord who keeps life. And, and so when it comes to a loved one in a hospital. We, we do our best to keep them alive, but it's God who preserves life. There comes a time when, as a family member, you'll, you're gonna be asked. I, I was asked for my dad. You know, He's been on it, intubated for weeks and we don't think he's gonna live and all we're doing is keeping him alive mechanically at this point. And so you have to trust the Lord at a certain point, you're going to be asked this, and you pray, and with God's wisdom, and, and it's hard to listen to people when that comes up, but you you say, you know what, Lord, I trust you, and we'll, take, we'll have the doctor remove the tube, and if he lives, it's, it's because God wants them to live. If, they, if God takes them, then it's God's will. You have to trust the Lord. It's the Lord who does that. Uh, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Again, I, I believe this passage sheds light on all of these different things, Um. And, and much more, but murder. Murder is what it's talking about, uh, the act of hostility against man. Murder's act against is really an act against God because God keeps life and he holds your life in his hands. And so to take someone's life is, is an affront or an attack on God because we're made in the image of God, verse six at the very end there. So here we have this new beginning, chapter nine, a new world. Noah's family starting out again, and God begins with blessing. Noah begins by offering sacrifice. God begins by blessing. He gives him dominion. He gives him food. God blesses him with marriage and family life. God is a blessing. God. This speaks of God's goodness. It speaks of God's grace. So, if you're thinking, if you're a vegetarian tonight and say, "Oh, I can't believe all the blood and the animals. I can't believe all that," that's not the the point here. And I'm sorry if I I. I drove that point stronger than it should be. The truth is is that God's a gracious God, and he provides for man. And good things, marriage and family life, and intimacy within the marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's it's to be enjoyed. Food and all those things. And the older I get, the more I'm into food. Is anybody else? I mean, it's like, yeah. I I mean, we all understand. Food, we love it. And we talk about the different food at the different restaurants, and we go there, and we went to a new sushi place the other night. It was really good. Enjoyed it. And so there's food, and we we just have all this. But God also says, listen, I want to protect you. I'm going to bless you with this. Don't eat food that's uncooked. Don't eat food that contains the blood. I always cringe at those, those tribal people in Africa that, you know, they... They drink blood because they don't have any food. It's, Ugh. But God says, don't do that because you'll get some sickness. He doesn't want you to be sick, so He's provided these laws for you. So I, I love the truth of God's word. I hope tonight that you receive it beyond my, my uh, presentation. But uh, the fact that God blesses people, He's so gracious and so loving, that's what we're t- going to take home tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths, Lord. And Lord, we, do, we are concerned about our planet and pollution. As Christians, we are we're keepers of the world that you've created. Help us, Lord, to be thoughtful about our own garbage, about our own um, uh, waste. But Lord, I, I pray that global warming and, and waste and eco things would not rule in our lives as Christians, but that we would see the planet you made, and we would be keepers of it and to the best of our own ability. That we would love wildlife and be thankful for it, but also be thankful for the food that you provide through animals. And Lord, for those that only eat salad, keep them healthy, and, and I thank you for them too. Lord, that we, there wouldn't be any dissension within our church or with other believers that are, are into that and they have their own dietary lost, but but all of us to know that that doesn't make us more spiritual. We're just choosing to do that. And Father, we'll give you thanks and we'll give you praise for all that you do. In Jesus, amen. amen.